Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I had a pretty close encounter in September 1994, I believe, near Tollgate, Oregon. 
During elk bow season, I had been in the woods for several days. I was tracking a hit elk on the north side of USFS Road, 64 Skyline, about opposite Jubilee Lake at about 1 or 2 p.m. I was down the Skookum Springside of Dusty Ridge, about one quarter to half mile from Dusty Spring, an abandoned campground, and saw movement about 70 yards crosslope and down at the edge of a clearing, some 30 or 40 yards across a large biped with unusually long seeming arms walked across the clearing, heading away and upslope at an unhurried pace. Near the far edge of the clearing it stopped and turned, looking directly at me. It was covered head to foot in hair, dark brownish in color, and I got a very... too good, actually. Look at it. It knew I was there, I have no doubt, to this day. It then turned and continued away. I saw it for perhaps two minutes in bright sunlight. I vacated the area without finding my elk or going over to look for tracks. I can say it was not a man or anything I've seen before. As it walked, it swung its arms, but they were so that the palms of the hand was clearly to the rear, and much nearer the knees as opposed to the hip as mine are. The daytime can be better established because when I got home and was telling my wife, she said that the previous weekend some guy had taken videos of Bigfoot at Hoodoo Spring some twenty miles from where I was at, and they had been on the news. I have no pictures, but can certainly take someone to the spot without difficulty even now. In the dimly lit war room, we, the elite Navy SEAL team, gathered around a holographic display showing a high-tech terrorist organization's activities. We were tasked with a covert mission of utmost importance, to infiltrate the enemy's base and dismantle their sinister plot. Each member of our team had their unique skills and strength. There was Michael, the sharpshooter with nerves of steel. Sarah, the brilliant tech expert who could hack into any system. David, the master of close combat and hand-to-hand -hand combat. And Alex, the strategist and leader of our tight-knit unit. As we prepared for the mission, we knew that the odds were stacked against us. The terrorist organization was a well-oiled machine, operating in the shadows with ruthless efficiency. Time was of the essence as their diabolical plot threatened to unleash chaos and destruction on the entire country. Stealthily, we approached the enemy's base under the cover of darkness. The air was tense with anticipation as we navigated through deadly traps and high-tech security systems. Every step brought us closer to the heart of the enemy's operation. As we delved deeper into the base, we encountered ruthless adversaries who seemed to anticipate our every move. It was clear that they were not amateurs and we were facing an enemy unlike any we had encountered before. Amidst the intense battles and harrowing encounters, each member of our team confronted their own personal demons. Sarah was haunted by memories of a past mission gone wrong, and David grappled with the weight of his responsibilities as a leader. Michael, the ever-stoic one, struggled to keep his emotions in check while Alex questioned whether he had the strength to lead us to victory. But even in the face of adversity, we relied on each other, drawing strength from our unwavering camaraderie. Through trust and unity, we overcame our individual struggles and became an unstoppable force. As we unraveled the terrorist organization's plot, the scope of their intentions became chillingly clear. They had developed a high-tech weapon capable of mass destruction, and they were on the brink of deploying it. Time was running out and failure was not an option. In the final showdown, we faced the organization's leader, a cunning and ruthless mastermind named Victor. The battle was fierce, 
each move calculated and executed with precision. Our lives were on the line, and the fate of the country hung in the balance. Amidst the chaos of the firefight, Sarah managed to hack into the base's mainframe, disabling their weapon and disrupting their communications. The tide of the battle turned in our favor, and we managed to apprehend Victor and his top lieutenant. In the aftermath of the mission, we stood victorious, having thwarted the enemy's diabolical plot. Our journey had been one of sacrifice, determination, and unwavering bravery. Each member of our team had grown and evolved, finding strength in the face of adversity and drawing closer together as a family. The mission had tested our limits, both physically and emotionally, but it had also reaffirmed the true meaning of brotherhood. As we returned home, we knew that the fight against terrorism was far from over. But we were more determined ever to protect our country, standing united as a group of elite Navy SEALs ready to face whatever challenges lay ahead. My friends and I had decided to meet up for a casual chat in the park one afternoon. We were strolling through the woods, enjoying the fresh air and the sounds of nature when we came across some abandoned toilets. At first, we didn't think much of it. It was just another sign of urban decay, a forgotten structure lost in the midst of the woods. However, as we walked around to the back of the toilets, we saw something that made our hearts stop. Through the blurry glass, we could see what looked like a figure, an arm, and a hand dangling in the air. It appeared as if someone had hanged themselves, or worse, been hanged. It was a terrifying sight, one that instantly filled us with fear. We stood frozen in shock for a moment before deciding we needed a second opinion. We didn't want to jump to conclusions, but we couldn't ignore what we were seeing either. Spotting a passerby, we quickly called over and asked him to take a look. We wanted to confirm if we were just hallucinating or if there was genuinely something there. To our growing horror, he saw the same thing. His daughter, who had been trailing behind him, also saw the same chilling sight. At their suggestion, we decided to report the matter to the police. The seriousness of the situation was sinking in, and we knew we needed to act responsibly. We quickly made our way to the local police station, where we gave them our details and explained the situation. They assured us they would send an officer to the location as soon as possible. As we left the police station, we couldn't shake off the eerie feeling. We had gone out for a simple meet-up, a walk in the park, and ended up stumbling upon something so chilling. The image was burnt into our minds, and the fear was still palpable. I promise to keep everyone updated as soon as we hear back from the police. We can only hope now that it's not what we fear it is. It was a typically quiet morning when I got a call from Jeannie a resident who lived about 30 miles up D.L. Boulevard. I've known Jeannie for years. We grew up together in the same small town, and she's always been the type to keep to herself. So when I heard her voice trembling over the phone, I knew something was wrong. Something's been here, in my driveway, she stammered, her voice shaky. A huge footprint, in the mud. My brows furrowed in confusion. Oh, uh, footprint, Jeannie, I echoed, trying to comprehend what she was saying. Yes, it's... It's massive. I ain't seen anything like it before. I assured her I would be there soon and quickly set off in my truck, driving the familiar route up DL Boulevard. As I turned up Boundary Road, my mind raced with possibilities. Could it be a bear? But Jeannie's house was a fair distance from the forest's edge. Perhaps some pranksters trying to give her a scare. Pulling up the driveway, I saw Jeannie standing there, 
her face pale and her eyes wide with fear. She led me to the footprint, and my heart skipped a beat. There, embedded in the mud, was an enormous footprint. It was much larger than any human foot, and it had a peculiar shape that was distinctly non-human. The toes were long and had sharp claw-like protrusions at the tips. The heel was broader than any creature's foot I had seen. I knelt down beside it, my mind racing. I had been working as a park ranger for over ten years, and I had seen all sorts of animal tracks. But this, this was different. This was something I had never seen before. As I traced my fingers over the imprint, I felt a shiver run down my spine. Whatever had left this footprint was huge and potentially dangerous. It was my duty to find out what it was and ensure the safety of the residents. In the following days, I led a team of experts to examine the footprint. We cast the plaster mold of it, hoping to identify the creature that had wandered so close to human habitation. We searched the nearby woods looking for any signs of this unknown creature, but all we found were more questions. The footprint became a local mystery. Some said it was a hoax. Others believed it was a creature from local legends. But for me, it was a reminder of the unknown that still exists in our world, a mystery that I am yet to solve. Every day as I patrol the woods, I keep my eyes open, wondering if I'll come across another such footprint, hoping that one day I'll come face to face with the creature that left it behind. I was 18 and was going to a friend's. Say, Mike, house with another friend of mine. Let's call him Joe. On my bike. Motorcycle, to be clear. So we reached this friend's house, which was in first floor. We tried calling him out from the street. His moms came out and said he wasn't home. We started again from there to another spot where we and a couple of other friends hang out. Just after we start, Joe tells me to go to the same spot that I had in mind, and I tell him I had the same thoughts, too. Now we reach the spot, and almost all of our friends are there. As expected, I had a tiny little chat which barely lasted a minute, and then noticed that Joe wasn't behind me. I concluded myself that he was playing me and asked the guys where he was hiding. They had no idea what I was talking about. I thought of pranking them all back and decided to leave the place so that Joe would have to walk back home. A couple of hundred meters later, Joe walks towards me from a completely different direction. I was completely blank because I'm the only one with a motorcycle and nobody else could drop him there from the spot. I asked him how he got there. Joe, I got down at the Mike's home. When you started, I was screaming for you to stop, but you just kept going. I was like, who was I talking to then on the way to the spot? After I graduated high school, I moved to Spokane for college. My now ex-boyfriend still lived on the Oregon coast, and when we both had a long weekend, we decided to meet halfway to go camping. This place ended up being near the Dalles. For everyone, even thinking that might be a nice place to visit. Don't bother, it's a shithole. Anyway, we drive up A4 and found a campground that was locked for winter. Just past it was a turnoff with a nice clearing that was big enough to pitch camp for the night. The first night was uneventful. We had a fire, made dinner, and went to sleep around 12. It was the next morning when we were about to go hiking that things became weird. I was just starting a fire and my ex was getting food together when suddenly it got really quiet and four people came walking down from the wooded hillside. There weren't trails around, no cars, and we were about 15 miles from the nearest town. The two men and two women were wearing business attire, think nice suits and dresses. 
They just walked by our camp without making a sound and didn't even acknowledge us as I called out a meek hello. I have no idea where they came from and how they were so clean after tromping down through the PNW forest. I can still clearly remember how they silently paraded past us and disappeared through the trees. Gives me the chills. My ex and I nervously laughed it off, and after a few drinks and a long, calm day, we forgot all about it by nightfall. We were just climbing into the tent when lights flashed and lit up the whole area. A voice on a megaphone was calling us to show ourselves. Scared shitless and heart-thudding, I got out of the tent to see a police cruiser parked behind my car, his spotlight throwing unnatural shadows through the clearing. He asked us how, why we were there and what we were doing. We mentioned spending the previous night at the spot and wanted to stay one more. He stepped from his car and told us that he checks this stop nightly because people go missing in this area all the time. Thoroughly freaked out, we told him we would pack up and leave within an hour, but that wasn't enough for him. He stayed, light still glaring, and waited for us to pack camp, throw everything in the trunk of my car, and then proceeded to follow us all the way to the interstate. I still don't know what or who we saw that day, but even driving through the gorge has scared me ever since. Last summer I got this brilliant idea to go for a personal retreat at these primitive log cabins in the middle of a state park. They have a light, a fan, an electricity plug-in, and a wall unit AC. No restroom. That's 130 yards away from my cabin. One of eight spread out in the woods so you can only see the next one in daylight if you're looking just the right spot. I went alone for two nights. First night, I'm up in the loft trying to fall asleep, and I freeze when I hear a metal sound like someone is outside the door, playing with the latch. Luckily, I have LTE coverage, so I text my husband that I think someone is trying to get in my cabin, and I'm sure I am about to get murdered. I'm freaking out. It goes quiet for a few minutes, then it sounds like someone is taunting me by scratching on the screen on the window. This lasts for what feels like hours. I'm alternating between freaking out to my husband, thinking about what I have in reach to protect myself with, not a thing, and being at peace with my fate. He's trying to tell me it has to be an animal, that I'm going to be okay and to take deep breaths and try to calm down. The scratching lasts long enough that I finally tell myself if it's a murderer, they must be inordinately patient. I mean, surely the dude was watching me all afternoon and knows I'm alone. What's taking so long? I eventually fall asleep, only to he awakened at around 3 a.m. by the call of nature. No way am I leaving the cabin, but I have nothing to pee in in the loft. It's messy for a woman to try to pee in a container anyway. Never wanted a penis so bad in my life, and the urge is so strong I'm either wetting myself, staying awake until daylight to control myself, or going down to the main floor and finding something to pee in and giving it a try. I try to hold it for probably 30 minutes, but with at least 3.5 hours until dawn, no way am I going to be able to make it. As fast as I can, I climb down the ladder and only turn on the flashlight to hold it between my teeth while I'm peeing, grab the empty sandwich Ziploc box, square-shaped and flat, and proceed to practically fill it up with only a few spills. I go back up to the loft, fall asleep, and awake at 8, grateful to be alive. I drove into town that day and bought a funnel mace and another two litters so I could use the empty one to pee in that night. That experiment was only partly a failure. On the last day, I'm snacking on the last of the chips I brought, and I discover several holes in the bottom of the bag and some tiny, shiny confetti bits of the chip bag. I remember seeing some little black pellets at the bottom of the Walmart sack I was storing my snacks in. 
Then it hits me. It was a mouse. The metal sound was the silverware shifting around in the bag as the mouse walked around the bag. The scratching was the mouse nibbling through the bag, and later, when it changed slightly, eating the chips. This summer, I took a friend and we stored our food in metal popcorn tins. Each morning we laughed as we swept away the mouse turds from the porch. I woke her up to trek to the bathhouse with me in the middle of the night. Lessons learned. I searched for the darkest place in North America to camp and watch stars. Take five friends out to Cosmic Meadows, New Mexico. Camping went well. Stars were amazing. Flash forward to sunrise the next morning. Me, my boyfriend, and his younger brother are watching the sun rise over this valley. It was incredibly beautiful and peaceful. Then we start to hear what sounds like a woman screaming, screaming, like she's being hurt. I immediately think mountain lion and tell the guys so they don't freak. Then we start to hear what sounds like three, four women screaming together. You know how you would to make your voices louder in unison, but like they are in agonizing pain? My boyfriend says, that is not a mountain lion that sounds like people in trouble. We all look at each other in agreement, my boyfriend yells, run, and at this point we hear what sounds like a small group of women screaming for help in the middle of nowhere. The screaming continues. We are all sprinting full speed down this hill towards the screaming, dodging rocks and brush, hoping not to trip. The screaming continues. I can't stop thinking about all the horrible things we might find. Who put those girls out there? What are they doing to them? What the hell am I going to do once I get there? The screams continue. Then out of nowhere the screams turn to what I can only describe as, I kid you not, demon growls, howls, screams. The female voices transformed into one voice that had the ability to make more than one sound at a time. All three of us slide to a dead stop, look at one another scared, confused, and my boyfriend once again yells, run, and now we are booking it in the opposite direction. We continue to hear the scream growl, but it sounded like it was getting closer, like it all of a sudden went from hundreds of yards away to just a couple of bushes back behind us. We finally make it all the way back up the hill where we started and sprint back to camp to find the others and pack all our ass up. My girlfriend at the time and uh, we're camping on the beach near Camp Wanma. However, we were not in the camp and camped alone on the beachfront. Near dusk, we noticed what we thought was a person standing 60 yards down the beach looking at our direction. I thought it was strange that a person was walking down in that direction because the only way down to the beach was next to us. Next, we thought maybe a person was looking for shells as we had earlier in the night. And I thought maybe this person was up to no good and wanted to stalk us for some reason. My girlfriend and I were in law enforcement. She, a uh, deputy sheriff, and I, a United States Forest Service law enforcement officer, level I. So we were alarmed a bit and generally suspicious in nature. We noticed the person was very large at that distance and turned and walked back south, out of sight. Five minutes later, the person came back, not stopping, and kept walking toward our camp. The sun had set, and the full moon was overhead. With the moon and the ocean, it was almost like day twilight still. We could see very well. The person we thought walked within 50, 70 feet in front of us, passed us at a good clip, going to the north. He never stopped to look and seemed to just ignore us as it was looking for something in the sand. It walked next to a natural tide pool on the beach and never crossed it to come up to us. At the end of the tide pool, it stopped, turned around, and walked right back down the beach to the south again, disappearing in the distance. I was alarmed because it did not seem natural the way it walked. 
It almost glided as it walked and seemed to be bent over as it did. We noticed it was huge, too. It almost seemed to be at eye level to us, and we were above it on a sand berm, probably six feet above the level it was walking. Hells, we noticed no color in its apparel, jet black. The distance it covered when it walked was almost as fast as if someone was jogging. We didn't notice any up or down bouncing, just a fluid motion as it walked. I ran down with my mag light to the location it was walking and had my girlfriend tell me when to stop when I reached the area it walked. Before she yelled stop, I tripped on one of the tracks. I couldn't believe how deep and large they were. When I stood next to the holes, I barely pushed the sand down more than an inch. These holes, I guessed, were at least ten, twelve inches deep. So deep the steepness of the imprint sort of caved inward, making oval shapes like cones. My girlfriend came down as I yelled at her to take a look. She told me that she could clearly see my clothes from the camp and noticed my outline of colors. Jacket blue, red, blue. I showed her the footprints and said it must be that Bigfoot people says here. We were on vacation from Colorado. After a few minutes of looking at the tracks, my damn maglite bulb went out. We kind of laughed nervously. I told her not to worry and had a spare in the back of the flashlight. As I was doing the micro-task of changing out the bulb, she told out, here it comes. I rushed to change it out and drop the damn bulb of all things. So here we are two adult people getting a bit freaked out. I noticed it was directly walking toward us from a distance of around 100 yards. I frantically looked for the bulb, and each time I looked up it covered disdain at a rate of almost a jogger. I'm guessing now somewhere around 6-8 miles per hour. She freaked out and pulled my arm, begging me to run to the camp above the berm. I couldn't move. I told her I was going to stay put to find out who the hell this was. She ran, screaming, run to the camp. I stood my ground and stood there like some kind of gunfight. Idiot, I guess. Now I clearly noticed hair, all black and a huge figure. The shoulders struck me the most. I couldn't believe how wide it was and taller than me at a distaste of over, I'm guessing 60 yards. It kept walking without slowing down toward me. Kid of like it didn't even see me. It wasn't slowing down, I guess within 10, 20 yards now. I could see a face to the figure and realized this was not natural, not a person. I was so scared I couldn't even move for a moment, which really bothered me. I then gained some composure and ran like hell to the camp. All the time she was yelling run, all I could think was I was a goner if it wanted to catch me. I ran so fast and her like that before to her location. I turned around and was happy to see it was still walking right over where I must have been standing and passed to the north. It stopped, turned around again like it was still looking for something, walked without looking in our direction, and walked to the south, out of sight. Almost ignored us, I would say. We were in shock. We decided to leave everything on the beach. Our tent clothes everything. We ran to the car and I asked her for the keys. She said, I don't have them, you do. <sighs> I couldn't believe it. They were in the tent in my suitcase pocket. After much deliberation, half hour, we sneaked back to the site and I grabbed the keys. We ran back to the car and got in. She told me my ticket was in my suitcase. By then, I decided to regain compose and waited out with my video camera, which was in the car the whole time, of course. She suggested we just wait till morning and we must have seen a person. Right. She went to sleep in the car, and I waited up all night with a huge fire waiting for it to come back. Morning came. I stayed up all night. I took my picture camera 35mm and took pictures of the tracks still clearly visible on the beach. 
I was shocked to see how many tracks I saw, and even larger than the ones I looked at the night before. I took the whole roll and followed them down the beach for over a mile, I'm sure. I took pics with items next to them to show depth distance and when it. I noticed the tracks. All one of a spot to the east, up the berm to a thick forest. I stepped about a foot in and realized how stupid this was and left back to camp. We left and almost never talked about it and tried to gain reality back. After I returned back, I got the pics developed and saw in disbelief how incredible they seemed. I decided to try to contact someone who researches this and found an address on the back of a book authored by Richard Greenwell from the library. He was with the International Society of Cryptozoology. I mailed a letter some pics to Arizona asked for some answers. He contacted me after getting my letter and interviewed me. He had me then send the rest of the pics and contact another, Peter Byrne in Portland. I left a message. He got a hold of me at work and asked for my immediate departure back. I, of course, was unable due to vac time. I sure wasn't going to ask for special leave due to the circumstances and kept it quiet. He got the general location and researched the sighting. Later on, he found nothing, not even a trail up the forest. He noticed really nothing. Hair, tracks, two weeks after sighting. After a request by Peter, I came out the next year in June. We walked over the spot. He took pictures, and I showed him the location it went into the woods. He said he was off where I told him to go and had not yet looked there. We pushed back the foliage and saw to my man. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. ...a honed-out trail with vegetation and clearly a dirt animal path. We followed the path up the hillside to the highway and over to the wilderness area. I let in with the new and went back to Colorado. We noticed earth movers had begun to develop the land where the trail was. This had begun, I am guessing, within a week before my return. I have several pics, but sent something for you to look at. Some have its footprints with mine next to it for comparison. Years ago, when I was a kid, my cousins and I went exploring my aunt's property at the time. She once owned a ship, ton of land of mainly forest, so it was perfect for hiking around for literal miles and camping out. There was always something new to see, too, including an old, destroyed barn. It was pretty much all fallen apart. No roof, with only a couple walls, mostly standing. Inside the barn were a bunch of rusty metal things, maybe some kind of old farm equipment, but none of us knew what they were, or what they were used for and the skeletal remains of a horse. Not a complete skeleton, but lots of bones and the skull. None of us knew about the barn or the horse, not even my aunt or uncle. We just left everything there, but my one cousin buried the horse because she felt bad for it. I wish I could go back there again, but my aunt sold the property years ago, and it's mostly developments now with some patches of trees here and there. Hiking around on that land was something in my childhood I'll always cherish. But the horse skeleton always stuck with me. Why was it there? Was it abandoned and left to die, or did it just die? And whoever owned it never bothered to bury it. 
It was definitely the weirdest thing I've ever come across while hiking in the woods. I came across a girl's tent near the summit of my hike and thought nothing of it at first, but then I could hear whimpering from inside the tent. I asked if anything was okay, and she asked are they gone yet. I asked who, and she just started crying really loudly. I opened the tent to find her naked, covered in dirt, and a bloody face as if someone punched her in the nose. Apparently, she was joking by herself near dawn to see the sunrise at the summit and set up her tent at a place where she could get a good view. A group of guys saw that she was alone and decided to rape her. I didn't get the details of the story as that was all she told me. I called 911 and they dispatched a ranger to meet us on the trail. She was taken to the local hospital for a rape kit and her testimony. I quickly went home as well. The really sad part was I heard her say she just turned 18 a few days ago to the ranger when he asked for her age. The poor girl was out there celebrating her 18th birthday by herself only to have this happen to her. I was stationed in Idaho at Mountain Home AFB. The air base is situated at the end of a long road going out into the desert, and at the time, it's been quite a while so don't know what it's like today. It was only a gas station and a restaurant as you approached the base. Pretty lonely area at the time. As I passed the gas station, it was pretty late at night, around 11.30 p.m. or so. A Peter Gray Volkswagen Rabbit pulled out suddenly from the station, right in front of me, making me swerve to avoid hitting it. I was pretty P.O.'d, so took note of the description and the license plate. Just then, it vanished. I saw the driver and passenger's head enough to get an A description. My wife just looked at me and said, Did you see that? And we didn't speak about it anymore that night. The next day, I gave the license plate and description to a friend of mine who was a local cop in town and asked him to follow up on it. <laughs> I didn't mention the vanishing. A few days later, he stopped by the house and asked me if I thought I was being funny and was pretty upset. Not my intention. The vehicle matching that plate and description with the two people inside that I had described had pulled out from that gas station one year ago at that day and time and had cut off another vehicle, causing them to get hit and lose control killing them. Both. It happened before we moved there, and I had no prior knowledge of it. We all agreed to just avoid talking about it, but he was pretty shaken as well. My uncle was a lorry driver. He would go to many countries in Europe transporting large kitchen appliances. He'd go to many countries between Turkey and England, collecting the goods from Turkey and bringing them to the countries in Europe. And when he came to England, he would visit us. I'm not 100% sure on the details of his job. All I know is kitchen appliances, Turkey, European countries, England. As you know, a few years back, there was a huge flood of Syrian refugees trying to go to England specifically for some reason. Well, someone analyzed my uncle's route, decided it was the best route for the refugees, made the refugees pay all the money they had when my uncle did a pit stop in Hungary and he was sleeping on the side of the road in his lorry. Twenty, three... Individual Syrian refugees entered his lorry. I'm not too sure, but I believe the lorry storage units are airtight. Let's say it is a sick cunt took all the money off 20. Three refugees promising them they'd go to England. Locked them in an airtight lorry storage unit. They stayed in there for 18, 24 hours until they were caught at the border of France. France. Now, it doesn't sound too scary, but imagine you're my uncle. The uncle. 
You park your lorry in a ferry off to Dover in England, they call you down back to your lorry from the ship saying they found something in the storage unit. That comes off 23 people, all malnourished, struggling to breathe, sweaty, bewildered, poor refugees. My name is Joan, and I have spent the better part of my life honing my skills as a tracker and hunter. The wilderness is my home, and the challenge of uncovering nature's secrets has always called to me. But nothing could have prepared me for the chilling investigation that awaited me in the dense forests of Wyoming. I received a call one day, a plea for help from the locals. Five campers had vanished without a trace, leaving behind only an air of mystery and fear. Determined to uncover the truth, I accepted the task of unraveling this unsettling puzzle. As I delved deeper into the case, analyzing the evidence left behind, a grim realization washed over me. These campers had not simply disappeared. They had fallen victim to an unseen predator that feasted on their flesh, leaving nothing but bones in its wake. The sheer brutality of the attack spoke of a creature unlike any I had encountered before. This predator, according to my calculations based on the size and strength of the bones left behind, weighed at least 2,000 pounds. Its speed surpassed that of any creature I had ever known, capable of reaching speeds over 80 miles per hour. It resembled a wolf in some ways, but it was larger and more powerful a true apex predator lurking within the shadows. Every step I took through the forest, every sound I made, I could feel the predator's presence. It was as if it were toying with me, testing my resolve, watching my every move. I could almost hear its heavy breaths and the low growls that reverberated through the trees. With every passing moment, the line between hunter and hunted blurred. I knew that I had to rely on my instincts and survival skills to turn the tables on this relentless creature. I set up traps and studied its patterns, hoping to gain an advantage over this insatiable hunger that lurked within the depths of the forest. Days turned into weeks as the predator stalked me relentlessly. Each encounter brought me closer to the edge of my sanity, but I refused to succumb to fear. The woods had become my battleground, and I would not allow myself to become just another victim. Finally, the fateful day arrived. In a tense confrontation, I faced the predator head, on utilizing every ounce of my expertise. The battle was fierce and unforgiving, each of us pushing ourselves to the brink. Blood and sweat mingled in the air as we clashed, a primal dance of life and death. With a surge of determination, I managed to gain the upper hand, turning the predator's own strength against it. The beast let out a deafening roar of defeat, its dominance shattered by my unyielding will. It was over. Whoa. As the predator's life force faded away, a mix of relief and exhaustion washed over me. The forest had reclaimed its tranquility, the echoes of the predator's presence dissipating into the wind. I stood among the bones of its victims, a testament to the darkness that had once shrouded this place. But the memory of that harrowing encounter will forever linger in my mind. The untamed wild holds secrets that defy comprehension. Not hiking, but a camping story. Me and the wife went to this random spot up in Tennessee. was pretty sweet spot down a mountain range with a huge swimming area. The entire day went great, but later in the night, that's when it got crazy. We passed out at like 10 p.m. and around 3 a.m. My wife frantically wakes me up saying there was weird noises and movement outside the tent. 
My first thought it was a bear is in waking up trying to gather my senses I hear movement and all of a sudden this thing sticks its face in the mesh of the tent. It looked human, somewhat kind of freaked out. I immediately came flying out this tent by that time this thing. Whatever it was took off running uphill in pitch black conditions needless to say. We have not went back to that spot because honestly I don't think it was a person. I walked down a random trail near another more well-known trail system called the Shed Pond Loop in Maine. I came across this custom-made sign that gave me some Stephen King vibes. And painted almost childlike in appearance that said Dad's Way. I uh, followed it and there were pretty much zero markings and it was almost entirely overgrown. Zero sounds of animals like very eerily quiet and claustrophobic feeling the entire time. Turned around to bail when I kept seeing movement that I thought were bikers, but upon closer inspection, it was just more dense woods, meaning no trail and no possible way bikers would be out there. When I turned around to bail, no sign of the trail I had been following. Followed one direction that I was certain would take me out to a road, so at this point I'm trudging through dense woods. In the middle of this random area, I come across a chair with a tree growing through it, and a few very old glass beer bottles next to it. No trail, no clearings, just in the middle of these woods. Walked faster and made it out finally, but the whole thing felt so surreal. Hiked all day to Summit Mountain, Washington in the Cascades, only to come 25 feet from a mountain goat and his kid at the peak. We booked it until we felt like we had made it a safe distance. Looked up, and there he was, staring into our souls with those damn goat eyes, kid between his legs. Stalked us the whole way down the mountain. Doesn't help that we all smelled like salty sweat from hiking all day. Honestly thought I was going to get rammed off the mountain that day. I walked the trails of the park with a heavy heart, my footsteps echoing the burden of my past. As a dedicated park ranger named Larry, I had dedicated my life to preserving this vast wilderness, but my personal journey had been marred by tragedy. A single father and widower, I carried the weight of loss on my shoulders, a constant reminder of the fragility of life. One fateful day, as I ventured into the depths of the park, my attention was drawn to a hidden alcove tucked away amidst the towering trees. Curiosity piqued. I cautiously approached sensing there was something more to discover. Nestled within the moss-covered rocks, I discovered a weathered box containing a collection of old audio tapes. Intrigued and filled with a mix of apprehension and curiosity, I dusted off the tapes and found a vintage tape player to listen to the mysterious recordings. As the haunting melodies and the static-filled whispers filled the air, I embarked on a journey into darkness, unaware of the secrets that awaited me. The audio recordings told tales of a long-lost camper, a young woman who had vanished without a trace. The chilling accounts described encounters with a creature, a monstrous being resembling a Bigfoot-like creature lurking in the depths of the forest. The creature had claimed the lives of over twenty unsuspecting campers, leaving a trail of fear and mystery in its wake. As the tapes played on, the puzzle pieces began to fall into place and the truth emerged from the depths of the woods. The voice from tape said exact coordinates of where this creature was. The sinister presence I had sensed was real, a creature of 
unimaginable power in darkness. It had slumbered for years, hidden from the world, but now it awakened once more, hungering for blood and vengeance. Haunted by the past and driven by a sense of duty, I knew I had to confront my own demons and uncover the truth before history repeated itself. Armed with my ranger skills and an unwavering determination, I delved deeper into the darkness, desperate to protect both the visitors and the fragile balance of nature. Night after night I patrolled the park, my senses heightened, searching for signs of the creature's presence. With each step the weight of responsibility grew heavier as the lives of countless campers hung in the balance. I followed the trail of tragedy and fear, determined to bring an end to the creature's reign of terror. As the final battle drew near, my heart raced with a mixture of fear and resolve. I stood on the precipice, ready to face the creature that had haunted my dreams and claimed the lives of the innocent. In the heart of the forest, amidst the deafening silence, I confronted the beast, knowing that my own survival was not guaranteed. In a fierce struggle, we clashed. The creature's inhuman strength pitted against my determination to protect those I held dear. With every ounce of strength I fought back, unleashing a storm of courage and resilience. The battle raged on, nature's fury echoing our struggle. In a moment of desperate determination, I managed to find a weakness in the creature's defenses. With a swift strike I wounded the beast near its heart, eliciting a guttural roar of pain. It retreated, vanishing into the shadows, wounded but not defeated. As the sun rose over the park, casting its gentle glow upon the battered landscape, I emerged victorious, the savior of the woods. But the scars of battle ran deep, not only on the surface but within my soul. I had confronted the darkness, faced my own demons, and ensured that the tragedy of the past would not be repeated. With renewed purpose, I continued my role as a dedicated park ranger, protecting the visitors from both the seen and the unseen dangers that lurked within the wilderness. And as I watched over the serene beauty of the park, a glimmer of hope emerged, reminding me that even in the face of darkness, light could prevail. I was camping with my buddy and we pulled into a campsite in the middle of nowhere. For some reason there was an oil painting of a woman at this campsite. Thought that was weird, but whatever, it's the woods, right? We go to bed that night in the bed of my truck. At some point my buddy wakes halfway up and goes, what the F is that? I, thinking it was just an animal or something, tell him to stuff and go back to sleep. Next morning we wake up and there are small barefoot footprints all around our camp. Like a small girl or child had wandered up to the window, I tucked the cab of my truck all around camp and left. And I know they showed up that night because they were over my tire marks in the dirt. As we snoop around camp, we notice drag marks in the dirt. Try to follow them, but they eventually disappear. Who the F was snooping around my camp at all hours of the night? I got baked off my face on a hike in Palm Springs. Made a wrong turn on the descent and wound up going down a much steeper part of the mountain. As I know, to always keep my head on a swivel out in nature, I was on high alert. Looking up roughly 100 yards or meters away, thing big head pokes out and it's a mountain lion. I immediately thought, oh, this is where I die. Then some of the Dave Attenborough nature specials I watched kicked in. They are typically skittish, unless they perceive you as prey. So I made myself bigger with my arms up, growling as I continued to go down the mountain. 
It just kept moving side to side, observing me. I watched it every two steps I took. Eventually it gave up on me and I was able to will myself down. Going in the IDK, couple of peaks. Forget when, other than during active bear season. When settling down for the evening night, another hiker was camped about 100 feet from me. I was looking at him go, cooking salmon sitting in his tent entrance, brushing his teeth and spitting out on his tent's doorstep, along with the cooking leftover liquids, left food out, etc. I'm being cautious and putting stuff away like 200 feet away from my tent. We chat and tell him about bear prevention. Blah, blah, blah. Middle of the night, bear noises and growls and screaming and the whole nine yards. Everything clams down and I go back to sleep. In the morning, the other guy had barely slept. His tent was torn apart. Had a surprise visit overnight. The remote mountain range stood before us, its peaks hidden in an eerie mist. I led a team of U.S. Marines with Stephen as my second in command, a man known for his occasional indulgence in horror podcasts. We were dispatched to investigate a string of unexplained deaths and unsettling incidents that plagued the local population. Venturing into the heart of the wilderness, an ominous silence enveloped us. Every step felt heavy, as if the very air held secrets waiting to be revealed. Our senses heightened. We treaded cautiously, wary of what lurked beyond the veil of fog. Little did we know that the mist-shrouded peaks harbored an ancient evil. It began with unsettling noises, strange growls and bone-chilling howls echoing through the valleys. As night fell, shadows danced in the darkness and a sense of dread settled upon us. We soon realized that we were not alone. The creature, a menacing amalgamation of the Dogman and Bigfoot legends, stalked our every move, fueled by vengeance and power. Trapped in a battle against this formidable cryptid, we fought with all our might. The creature's strength and ferocity were unmatched, and it seemed to possess an otherworldly intelligence. Yet, we refused to yield. Determined to unravel the mysteries of Devil's Peak and put an end to the curse that had befallen this land, we pressed forward. Days turned into nights as we waged our war against the beast. Each encounter pushed us to our limits, testing our courage and resilience. We hunted for clues, seeking weaknesses to exploit, but the cryptid proved a formidable adversary. The darkness that clung to Devil's Peak seemed to protect its secrets. Finally, in a climactic battle, we managed to gain the upper hand. Through teamwork, strategy, and sheer determination, we subdued the creature, bringing it to its knees. Yet our victory was short-lived. As we contacted our commander to relay our success, Kaya operatives arrived unexpectedly. They swiftly confiscated the cryptid's body, leaving us perplexed. Their words sent chills down our spines. They warned us to remain silent, revealing that over 10,000 cryptids lurked in the depths of the United States National Parks alone. We were left with more questions than answers. What other horrors hid in the shadows? And why were these cryptids kept a secret? As we disbanded our minds haunted by the truth we had uncovered, we knew our battle against the unknown had only just begun. I worked at the North Rim Lodge in 2015 at the Grand Canyon. 
The first day I got there, I was told the reason why the transept trail was roped off was because a teenage girl had leapt to her death on a family vacation while they were walking to the lodge. That same week, a co-worker of mine went down to Phantom Ranch on a full day hike with some other new hires. They ran into a grown man having a heat stroke. She tried to help him, and he died in her arms. His brother watched it happen. Two adult men who hiked to R2R annually. The girl had a breakdown a few days later and went back to Ohio. Hope you're doing okay, Steve. That same summer, we used to camp at Marble Viewpoint. There was a Kyron-type tribute with a box of a man's last memories of his wife who had fallen on a trip with her friends a couple years prior. Bunch of pictures and stories in a metal lunchbox, pretty much. So beautiful. They got married at that viewpoint several years prior. It was encouraged that you leave a little note in the logbook sharing your experience with Marble View so that he could come back and read them while visiting the spot. One night, me and like five co-workers are camping there, and we checked the box like we always did. The next morning, the site was destroyed. A couple hundred rocks at least were just gone. Not scattered around either, but thrown over the edge or just removed entirely. It was like the monument was never even there. The box was gone, too. Can't imagine when it happened or who did it. But there were only like two other families camping there, and we talked to everyone, and they all said they were in their tents the whole night. Really sad shit. I hope whoever trashed the place had some remorse and tried to return the box somehow. I've been working in national parks for years now at various concessionaires and lodges, and it is one tragic story after another of death and sadness and shit. Every single year there are new people that are lost or murdered or die because of a drunken mistake. I could literally tell stories I've been told or witnessed for hours. My best friend told me yesterday that I should write down my experiences so that I don't forget them. There's some serious gems. Maybe he's right. This didn't happen to me. It happened to my parents. My parents were hiking in an area called the Brecon Beacons, United Kingdom, which is known for its waterfalls, but also is one of the most dangerous areas to walk in the United Kingdom, due to its unpredictable weather and treacherous terrain. My parents were walking along a path that ran parallel to the edge of a cliff. A man and his stepson were coming towards them from the other direction, pushing their bikes. My parents moved against the cliff wall in order to let them pass. As the boy was walking past, his tire slipped on the wet ground, and his bike pulled him off the edge of the cliff. He fell maybe fifty feet and hit his head on the rocks below, which killed him instantly. The boy was maybe twelve or thirteen, according to my parents. My mom struggles to speak about it now, and it happened nearly thirty years ago. Years ago, my buddy and I decided to go on a backpacking trip using historical gear. After months of careful preparation, we dressed up like Vikings and went into the woods. We had a great time, but ended up not being able to camp because the mosquitoes were so bad. Still, fun little adventure. The place we chose was a popular trail, and we must have passed dozens of other hikers, including some kind of youth group. We'd smile and wave, and people would say hi back, or sometimes do a double take, or just stare. When I look at it from their perspective, it must have been weird as F. You come around a corner, and here are two people in wool and leather, blanket rolls slung over their backs, axes and knives on their belts, just casually out for a little stroll. One person asked if we were mushroom hunting. No one else commented on or questioned what we were up to, probably because of the axes in retrospect. Toward the end of the hike, I fell way behind my friend. 
I was too out of shape and my feet were killing me. I imagine that was even weirder to encounter. Two costumed weirdos together are very different than one costumed weirdo and then another one about 20 minutes later.